Hello, and welcome to Historical True Crime, the podcast where we take a look back at history's darkest crimes and criminals. I'm your host, Lizzie, and today is episode 42. We'll be heading to Colorado, and it's the late 1800s. Today's episode is on Alfred Packer, the Colorado Cannibal. Prospector Alfred Packer came into the Los Pinos Indian Agency in Gunnison, Colorado on April 16, 1874, broke, freezing, and most significantly, alone. Packer had been traveling into the mountains with a party of five men, but they had all vanished. The last person to see them all together had reported they were still alive but it appeared something horrible had taken place by the time Packer reached his location. Let's back up and start though at the very beginning. Pennsylvania's Alenhe County is where Packer's story begins. There are various versions of Packer's tale, but here are the crucial facts. He was born in 1842, close to Pittsburgh. Some say he was born on January 31st, Uh, but other sources give his birth date as November 21st of the same year. And from a young age, he experienced seizures. Epilepsy, his condition, would plague him throughout his entire life and cause some social disgrace. Packer, according to Andrew Guilford, a professor of Southwest Studies and History at Fort Lewis College in Durango, was a little bit of a drifter and might have served in the Civil War. According to a June 8, 1989 article in the Washington Post, Packer was released from the Union Army in 1862 due to his epilepsy. He tried to re-enlist under another regiment, but according to the city of Littleton, he was dismissed again for the same reason. According to a rumor that gained widespread traction but is unfounded, A young packer went to a tattoo parlor, and his tattoo artist made the grave mistake of writing Alford instead of Alfred on packer's skin. Despite the fact that according to court records, his first name legally remained Alfred, he seems to have accepted the typo and ended up adopting the name. According to the Hinsdale County Museum in Lake City, packer relocated to the West between 1863 and 1873 to pursue a variety of vocations, including mining, guiding, hunting, and trapping. Packer was only one of the tens of thousands of drifters who made that same decision. Packer traveled across the country after the war before finally setting foot in Utah in 1873. He would join a group of around 20 prospectors traveling to Southwest Colorado late that autumn. There were reports of a gold discovery there, as well as marvelous tales of enormous fortunes to be had for the mere asking, and that's according to one newspaper story during that time. Despite having no guns, supplies, or any particular skill set, Packer agreed to lead a group of 21 men through the Rocky Mountains in the vicinity of Salt Lake City, Utah. Their final destination has been the subject of conflicting reports. The majority claim they were headed for the Los Pinos Indian Agency outside of Sagawash, while others claim they were going to the modern city of Breckenridge. Whatever was the case, they were set to start the long journey late in 1873. Travel was challenging, particularly as the ferociously early winter set in. 
When the prospectors reached a Ute Indian encampment in late January, they had run out of supplies and were subsisting on cattle feed. The men were given food and shelter by the chieftain, Chief Uray, who also persuaded them to stay for the winter because no Ute would travel in such harsh conditions. Parker declared that he believed the group could leave the camp and arrive at the Los Pios Indian Agency after learning that another team had done so successfully. Only five others chose to join him in taking this chance. They were Israel Swan, James Humphreys, George Noon, Wilson Bell, and Frank Miller. Early in February 1874, the six men used Chief Uray's food and shelter for a few days before departing to continue their trek. When Uray realized he couldn't stop them, he gave instructions. Follow the creek south from the government cattle camp near Gunnison for seven days, and that would bring one to the Los Pinos Indian Agency, from where it would be a straightforward 40 miles to Sagawash. Packer served as the six-person group's official guide when they left on February 9th. It would be the very last time five of those men were ever seen alive. According to Colorado Life magazine, they got lost practically right away. Packer subsequently testified that because of the constant snowfall, which was so thick, they had to proceed over ridges rather than the gulches they had originally intended to follow. They consumed their last pint of flour, which they blended with melting snow to create a sort of mush after nine days. After a few days, Noon presented his pair of goatskin moccasins for them to eat. They removed the hair, roasted them, and consumed them. They would eat another man's moccasins every few days until there were none left. As soon as the matches ran out, they marched with burning coals in a coffee pot, which Old Man Swan offered to carry because he was the one who was most affected by the cold. They continued on because it was difficult to go backwards due to the thickening snowfall. To quell their hunger, they consumed wild rosebuds and chewed pine gum, but it didn't help. In their frantic hunger, they sobbed, shouted, and pleaded. Most of all, they prayed for the taste of salt. They arrived at a frozen lake and tried to break through the ice to capture some fish, but all they got was mud. Swan was so worn out by day 20 of their alleged seven-day journey that he was unable to continue. The men followed the lake fork of the Gunnison River to a pine-shaded gulch close to a plateau, now known as Dead Man's Gulch and Cannibal Plateau. According to reports in the Lake City Mining Register, Packer emerged from the mountains on April 16, 1874, when winter finally gave way to spring but it was just him. When questioning what happened to the rest of his party by Preston Nutter, a member of the first group to leave Array's camp, Backer responded that he had got his feet wet and frozen and that the others had just abandoned him. Additionally, he pretended to be broke and offered to sell the firearm he was carrying for only $10. Packer said he wanted to go back to his home in Pennsylvania and some of the other guys who made it to the agency volunteered to take him up to Sagawash where he could buy supplies. When they arrived, Packer started spending money carelessly and even offered one man a loan. Nutter and the other participants in that initial group were extremely skeptical about him and they threatened to hang him. 
head of the Los Pinos Indian Agency, General Charles Adams, intervened in time to save Packer. But after questioning him, he started his own investigation. And that's when Packer signed his very first confession, which according to Legends of America, read, Old Man Swan died first and was eaten by the other five persons about 10 days out of camp. Four or five days afterwards, Humphrey died and was also eaten. He had about 133. I found the pocketbook and took the money. Sometime afterward, while I was carrying wood, the butcher was killed, as the other two told me accidentally, and he was also eaten. Bell shot California with Swan's gun, and I killed Bell, shot him. I covered up the remains and took a large piece along, I then traveled 14 days into the agency. Bell wanted to kill me with his rifle, struck a tree, and broke his gun. If Packer were telling the truth, according to General Adams, he wouldn't have any trouble taking a group of soldiers back to the original camp, where the available physical evidence would either support or refute Packer's claims. Initially, Packer agreed to lead the group. However, after claiming to be lost and lunging a knife at Constable Herman Lauder, he was imprisoned. Meanwhile, a group of searchers located the five men's corpses at a single campfire, rather than scattered throughout the trail as Packer had reported. Even though Alfred was imprisoned, he quickly escaped because his cell was nothing more than a log cabin. It would be nine years before Packer was found. He was found in Wyoming, hiding his identity. He then signed a second confession after he was identified, modifying his story to claim that the men had killed one another while he had been out scouting. In Lake City, Colorado, a trial began on April 6th, and seven days later, Packer was convicted guilty of premeditated murder and given the death sentence by hanging. A local newspaper said that the judge who gave Alford his sentence had some very harsh words for him. Quote, Stand up, you voracious man-eating son of a bitch, and receive your sentence. When you came to Hensdale County, there were seven Democrats, but you ate at five of them, you goddamn ya. I sincere you to be hanged by the neck until you're dead. Dead as a warning egg and reducing the Democrat population of this county. Packer, you Republican cannibal, I would sentence you to hell, but the statutes forbid it. And I do wish that was in fact what the judge had said, but uh, according to court documents, it shows that uh, Judge Gary's speech was significantly more sophisticated, and it actually read, Alfred Packer, the judgment of this court is that you be removed from hence to the jail of Hinsdale County, and there confined until the 19th day of May, 1883. And on that said 19th day of May 1883, you be taken from thence by the sheriff of Hinsdale County to a place of execution prepared for this purpose, at some point within the corporate limits of the town of Lake City, in the said county of Hinsdale, and between the hours of 10 a.m. and 3 p.m. of said day, you, then and there, by said sheriff, be hung by the neck until you are dead, 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 and may God have mercy on your soul. Alfred Packer, however, never went to the gallows. The Colorado Supreme Court overturned his conviction in 1885 because it was based on an ex post facto legislation or a new law that retroactively affected the outcomes of the law it replaced. 
As a result, his charges were changed to manslaughter, and he received a 40-year prison term. Packer played well in prison, and there are no allegations of him being disruptive, so his stay there was mostly uneventful. While incarcerated, Packer developed his creative skills, including making large dollhouses and watch bobs out of horsehair. Currently, the Hinsdale County Museum in Lake City has one of his dollhouses on display. A family even claimed that Packer created the dollhouse for them, and they owned it for many generations, and it even had electricity. The prison's wood shop at the time had everything needed for this kind of project, but Packer's construction of the dollhouse has never been verified. According to documents at the Denver Public Library, he was granted parole by Governor Charles Thomas in January 1901, after completing only less than half of his 40-year sentence. At that time, he was just shy of 60 years old. The Hinsdale County Museum claims that he was granted release because of his medical issues. After being freed, Packer located to a cabin uh, in a property in Jefferson County, southwest of present-day Ken Carl, where he lived out the remainder of his days. He also worked at the Denver Post as a guard. On April 23, 1907, he passed away at Deer Creek, Colorado, reportedly from dementia, or as it's written in some sources, trouble and worry, at the age of 65. It's widely believed that Packer became a vegetarian before his death, which is ironic given his cannibal past. He was laid to rest in Littleton, Colorado with full military honors and a veteran's monument commemorating his initial unit from 1862 to mark his burial. After Packer's passing in 1907, his story continued to live on. The Packer Club of Colorado was established by Republicans in the 1930s as a lighthearted reference to Packer's alleged consumption of five Democrats. Students at the University of Colorado in 1968 opened the Alfred Packer Restaurant and Grill, and Trey Parker also produced the cult classic movie Cannibal the Musical, in which he starred as a singing Alfred Packer. And this is before he created South Park, which many people will remember him from. According to the town of Lake City, the case received a boost back into the spotlight in July 1989, when a team exhumed the victim's bones for research at the Human Identification Lab in Tucson, Arizona. The findings of the team included blunt force strikes, cuts to the arms and hands, nicks on the bones, and other defensive wounds as indications of cannibalism and violent deaths. More recently, David Bailey, curator at the Museum of Western Colorado in Grand Junction, located a cult pistol with three of its five chambers still loaded that was discovered at the Packer site. Bailey's team analyzed samples of the lead in the pistol's ammunition with the lead in the soil beneath Bell's excavated body using an electron microscope. The samples were identical, proving Packer's assertion that Bell was shot by him. Today, the victim's graves are marked by a marker that reads, Alfred Packer, Massacre Site, located off Vickers Lane. Five plain white crosses and a sizable stone honoring the men are present at the location, which is walled off. The area is covered in flowers and animal bones. People frequently turn up at the scene of the massacre. 
it is somewhat of a tourist destination. Visitors are welcome to view pieces of evidence and objects related to Packer's case in the Hinsdale County Museum, including the shackles that were used to restrain him while he was detained in Lake City while awaiting trial. It also includes a sketch of the gallows intended for Packer, a cast of a possible Frank Miller skull fragment, among other things. While the museum frequently rotates its exhibits, the one on Packer is always on display. Now, Packer defended his innocence up until the very end, saying that although he ate the men to survive and killed Bell out of self-defense, he didn't murder the other men. Even now, experts are unsure of what to trust. Furthermore, the lack of relevant evidence makes it increasingly likely that no one will ever truly know what took place. But it seems that the mystery is what's keeping Packer's story alive. Was this a case of a murderer who committed a heinous crime, ate his victims, and eventually got away? Or is it more of a story of self-defense and survival? Well, I'll let you decide. And that brings us to the end of another episode on the life and crimes of Alfred Packer, the Colorado cannibal. We hope you've enjoyed this episode. If you did, please remember to review, rate, subscribe wherever you listen to your podcasts. If you have any feedback for us or a case suggestion of something you'd like us to cover in an upcoming episode, you can find us on Instagram at Historical True Crime Pod or by email at historical true crime pod at gmail.com. And we'll see you next week for another dark and notorious case from history. We'll see you then.